It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show, coming to you from New York, heard around the country, heard around the world. We'll be updating you on what the president's going to be saying today, giving us a game plan for fighting COVID in the winter. I'm sure it'll be oppressive and over uh, and overdone. I am not convinced that he is the person to bring us through any pandemic or any uh, defensive or any nuclear crisis or hypersonic crisis or any challenge overseas. I am I could not be more, um, I guess, down on the prospects of the president of the United States staying ahead of anything from the economy, the supply chain to everything that we're seeing. At the bottom of the hour, Nancy Mace did something very courageous and, and important. She went to Taiwan. And she wanted to express to that government, along with other Democrats, uh, there are allegiance to them. But will this president back them up with our Defense Department? Because Congresswomen from South Carolina aren't given the power to do that. Uh, so we'll talk about that. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Growing calls for Olympic boycotts as Beijing continues to deny widespread allegations of human rights abuses. The Women's Tennis Association suspending tournaments within China as it reiterates calls for Chinese tennis star Peng Shuai to be able to speak freely and openly. Yeah, it's a bow out of China's Olympic propaganda show. Should we do that as a country? As the WTA stands up for Peng Shi, the, the newly disappeared tennis star, and the bully boy nation threatens Taiwan and grows their Muslim concentration camps by the day. If the IRC decides to look the other way, should we? Number two. I've also spoken with the CEOs of UPS and FedEx. Now, I can't promise that every person will get every gift they want on time. Only Santa Claus can keep that promise. But there are items every year that sell out that are hard to find. Exactly. Don't blame me. Blame Santa. That's the new baffling message from the White House. As prices rise, gas remains stuck on high. And speaking of high, that's where the Dems must be if they expect us to believe that their $2 trillion social spending program is the cure for what ails this economy. But that's what they are having us believe. Number one. The California and San Francisco Departments of Public Health and the CDC have confirmed that a recent case of COVID-19 among an individual in California was caused by the Omicron variant. The individual was fully vaccinated and experienced mild symptoms, which are improving at this point. Gasp. Omicron. Do you know what that means? Low fever and runny nose. It could be your fate if exposed. Get ready for coast-to-coast overreaction, but not here, not with me. What about you? So we see Anthony Fauci come out, pop in his contacts, and tell everybody it's here. It's arrived. The variant of COVID-19 that South African doctor regrets telling the world that she found in her country because the two people she treated had mild symptoms. And the eight since then, mild symptoms, all under 40. But now it's in nine different countries, ours included, big shock. What's the big deal? What is the big deal? Why are we melting down over this? It makes no sense to me. Cut five. 
have to be prepared that there's going to be a diminution in protection, which is the reason why I keep getting back over and over again and say why it's so important to get boosted. But I think any declaration of what will or will not happen with this variant, it is too early to say. And I think we need to be careful because I know you're going to be reading a lot of tweets and a lot of comments about this. We're really very early in the process. Right. Uh, So let's go out there and call a press conference and tell everyone you know nothing. And can we stop using the word diminution? No one talks like that. Uh, The White House winter COVID plan is fascinating. It expands access to boosters. Oh, what a relief. Launching family vaccination clinics to get kids vaccinated. But basically, we know where to find them. Parents are saying, I don't think I'm comfortable or I do think I'm comfortable. It's not a matter of location. Distributing 50 million free tests to community sites. They feel we got to test more. Health insurance must cover 100% of costs. Okay, fine. Who's going to cover 100% of the health care? The health insurance's cost. All international travelers required to test negative within one day of departure, regardless of nationality or vaccination status. A lot better than what we heard seven days in quarantine. Calling on businesses to move quickly to require workers to get vaccinated. No, the court said they don't have to do it, so they don't have to do it. It's up to their business. Could be more strict than you guys or less strict. We've got to make our own decision. And Anthony Fauci out there taking questions yesterday would not answer the big one. And that is, why are we uh, testing every Belgian and Frenchman to come in here, but allowing two million illegals to come in? He has no answer to any of these questions, and he skirts around these issues. What I like about it most is he did not know where it was going yesterday when he got that question from Peter Ducey, when he said basically why are these people out? He goes, well, we do test some of them. And Title 47 says that, you know, men have to go back which is not a good answer. He's pure politics all the time. Ted Cruz was called out over the weekend by Anthony Fauci. Cut seven. In a time of a medical crisis, we would like the leadership at our health agencies to actually be based on science, to be based on medicine. And and Fauci has demonstrated that he is just a democratic talking head. He, He will go with the politics and he will change on a flip of a dime. I mean, you look at his answer there where he says, well, gosh, Two million illegal immigrants coming across, not testing them, releasing them COVID positive. That's no risk whatsoever. On the other hand, when the teachers unions ask the Biden administration to require kids to wear masks in schools, giving in to the teachers unions because they're political allies of the Democrats, that's science, too. And and, and there's a level of just dishonesty that I think has done real damage to the credibility of of the CDC and, and of the NIH. Yeah, and this is what he was talking about. So in this question, very coyly, Peter Ducey asks him uh, to address the border. Cut six. Dr. Fauci, as you advise the president about the possibility of new testing requirements for people coming into this country, does that include everybody? The answer is yes, because you know that the new new, uh, regulation, if you want to call it that, is that anybody and everybody who's coming into the country needs to get a test within 24 hours of getting on the plane to come here. But what about people who don't take a plane and just these border crossers coming in in huge numbers? That's a different issue. For example, when you talk, we still have Title 42 with regard to protection at the border. So there are protections at the border that you don't have the capability, as you know, of somebody getting on a plane, getting checked, looking at a passport. We don't have that there. But we can get some degree of mitigation. Is there something to do to test these people somewhere else? There, no, there, there, is, there is testing at the border under certain circumstances. He's not telling the truth. 
He's just not telling the truth. There's some testing at the border, but don't tell me that's not a concern. If you're actually answering honestly and not politically, you say it's a major concern when I find out that there's 2 million illegals who have come through our country and the Godaways number between 200 and 600,000. That has to bother me because, after all, I'm making sure this, these, uh, these tourists from the Netherlands are tested and maybe even quarantined, but I don't care about the— the, the caravans storming up through Haitian and Taria, uh, coming from Venezuela and Cuba. I don't care about them, but I care about the Australians coming here. I want to stop the Canadians from coming here for two almost two years. I mean, it's incredible. It's pure politics. I hope people see through this. That is my uh, clear hope. You know what else I hope? When gas is high and inflation rises, I would hope the president of the United States wouldn't tell us it's not and it isn't. Cut 14. If you watch the news recently, you might think the shelves in all our stores are empty across the country. That uh, parents won't be able to get presents for their children on holidays this holiday season. But here's the deal. For the vast majority of the country, that's not what's happening. Because of the actions the administration has taken, in partnership with business and labor, retailers and grocery stores, freight movers and railroads, and those shelves are going to be stocked. Okay. Nice. I guess we, you know, if it was the 1970s and you, your partner was the I Dream of Jeannie, Barbara Eden character, you could blink and these, st- and these shelves could be full. But people were sending us pictures of their shelves on Fox & Friends, and it was unbelievable what we are getting. And your answer is, they are so full. No, I showed you a picture. They're not. No, they are. Don't watch the news. No, no, I went shopping. I didn't watch the news. Here's Kevin Hassett, former chairman of the Council of Economic Advisors. Uh, he was on yesterday with the great Larry Kudlow, Cut 19. This inflation is going to get really out of hand. I right now have looked at the history of inflations like we've seen right now, and and I don't see us escaping double-digit inflation. Mm. So the Fed is really behind the curve. Mm. You know, Greenspan used to testify all the time that that running the Fed is like trying to steer the Queen Mary. you got to start really early. Well, the Fed is really late. And the history of it is that when the Fed is late, you end up with big increases in interest rates, you know, bigger than that 2.7 you mentioned, and then recessions. And I'm worried that that's basically the path we're going to have to go down to control this inflation. And we understand the Fed came and said we were uh, we were wrong in saying the inflation was going to go quickly because we underestimated how quickly our economy would bounce back. So it, uh, in one way, they're trying to compliment themselves by saying, I brought the economy back so quick, I inflated some prices. Sorry, I'm so great. Uh, I'm sorry if I hurt attendance because I win every game by 40 points. one 408 7669 I'll come back and talk to you uh, about a lot of things, including uh, what, what, but with, with China's actions, with the, what's going on now, should we not even go to the Olympics? After all, the WTA is outraged. People are getting outraged. Yesterday, the vice, former vice, the current vice president of China, chairman or whatever they call him, uh, had meetings with sponsors American sponsors and said, you guys better start sticking up for us because there's a big boycott, the China Olympics movement, and we want it to stop. Why don't they stand up to them? Is everything about the almighty dollar or yen? We'll talk about that. And we'll also talk about the fact that the president of the United States, the former president, 45, was just on with us on Fox and Friends 20 minutes ago. And I asked him about the uh, China and the boycott of the Olympics. You'll find out what he said right after this. You're with Brian Kilmeade. 
Cudlow on Fox Business is now on the go for podcast fans. Get key interviews with the biggest business newsmakers of the day. The Cudlow Podcast will be available on the go after the show every weekday at foxbusinesspodcasts.com or wherever you download your favorite podcasts. A talk show that's real. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. Called on the Biden administration to impose a diplomatic boycott. I've also suggested to the Japanese that I'd applaud them if they were to do the same thing. But I want to be clear, Larry, it's a diplomatic boycott that I've called for. I think the athletes need to decide for themselves. My sympathies go to them. They've worked so hard to get to this point. That's a decision that they will have to make. So uh, that's Senator Bill Haggerty. He's absolutely right on Larry Kudlow. It's really tough. You don't want the athletes to pay the price. And then you say it's good by Olympic Games because I think we're hosting the next one. And that's, that's the flip side. The other side is... I mean, if you're a sponsor of those games, you really want your name associated with the Olympics that associates so much with uh, oppression? More from Bill Haggerty. Cut 23. It's a terrible accusation, and I applaud the president <laughs> of the WTA for stepping up and saying we're going to hold China accountable. This also reminds you of what China has done to cover up, for example, the origins of the COVID-19 vaccine, mm. silencing people, not allowing them to speak out, just as they did with researchers back at the very beginning of the COVID-19 pandemic. Here we are again, but I applaud the fact that the WTA leadership is stepping up and saying we're going to stand out, uh, we're going to stand up for our player, and we're not going to allow any tournaments to take place until we get to the bottom of this. So in case you don't know, the 35-year-old uh, Chinese tennis superstar accused a, uh, a high-ranking Chinese official of sexual abuse, assault, and then she was basically jailed, it seems, and now is have a few of photo ops to show that she's okay, but the WTA is not buying it, so they say we're going to pull all tournaments out of China until further notice. The IOC said, I don't see a problem there. I don't, you know, see the big deal. I, uh, we've been in contact with her. She seems to be fine. And the international community seems to be fine. But I think that there's got to be pressure on sponsors. Just say, listen, you want to be associated with this? Why don't you just put, why don't you just put the logo of your company on the fencing surrounding the Uyghur uh, a concentration camp. How would you feel about that? But the big challenge is what happens afterwards, regardless whether we go or not. They're talking about a diplomatic boycott. I think that could be done. But the president showed no spine at all when it comes to China. Why? Because maybe he's compromised because of all the dealings his son has done and how, how, uh, how much information they have on him. So we're seeing the way they're acting with Taiwan. They see what happened with Hong Kong. They see about Tibet. We asked Mike, Pom- uh, Mike Pompeo that yesterday, and he also had a similar, uh, similar take uh, last night with Sean Hannity. But Miranda Devine really holds the key to China because it seems like in that laptop, they seem to be unwinding some ins- really sinister investment plans with Chinese officials, the CCP company, who, uh, CECP company, who this energy company associated directly with the Chinese government is uh, taking rare earth, which helps build batteries, which they say is the future of energy in our country, as well as the Belt and Road Program. They go into poor nations. They build up their infrastructure. When they can't make the payments to pay them back, they take it. So we are actually a part. The, the Hunter Biden's investment, uh, investment group is actually a part of the Belt and Road Program, helping China take over allies and land from America. Here's Miranda Devine, Cut 27. 
there are tens of thousands of documents and every time you, you do a deep dive, you end up down some rabbit hole or other. Um, but, I mean, occasionally I would just push myself away from the desk after hours and just shake my head and say, I cannot believe I just read that. Um, and mm. when you piece together that puzzle with Tony Bobolinsky, who was a partner of Hunter Biden, he, all his WhatsApp messages that I have, uh, and then on top of that, the Johnson Grassley Senate inquiry, which had all those suspicious activities, transactions that came from the Treasury Department, from bank accounts and bank wires that went wow. to uh, entities associated with Hunter Biden. It adds up to tens of millions of dollars and really America's yeah. national interest um, compromised. Yeah, I mean, that's what's in there. And evidently, there's uh, so much horrible things on there with child pornography. You're not allowed to look at it. And if you look at it, you be, could be actually arrested because it looks as if you are supporting that horrible industry, which is out there. So yesterday, they find out the Wall Street Journal reports in, the, in their edit, lead editorial today that uh, Western leaders uh, are getting pressure from Chinese officials to come out in support of their Winter Olympic Games. Now, we know about the support that the NBA showed uh, when the general manager of the Houston Rockets came out and said something about free Hong Kong. And then we know that LeBron James said how uneducated that general manager was and has never said one word bad about China. And by the way, they still didn't show Space Jam in China. So a lot of, a lot of good that did you. But now we ask the CEO of BlackRock, the CEO of uh, Goldman Sachs, the CEO of J.P. Morgan Chase to stand up and say, yeah, I don't want to sponsor this. You can go play, you can go compete, but I don't want my name on this. That, to me, would take guts, and that, to me, would get my, that would get my attention to me because that plays into the biggest challenge we have as a country right now. I did not know this, but people that laughed at Space Force should be laughing in the mirror. As you know, on a daily basis, it seems as that our satellites are under attack from Russia and China. They're trying to supplant us in space where we are by far the leader for now, but they stole a lot of our technology. You see it a lot on their spacecraft. They, it looks exactly like ours, everything except maybe perhaps the color. And now we find out that our satellites has been rattled on, uh, almost daily, almost attacked, if not blown up, by China and Russia. So when we come back, I'm going to bring that up to Congresswoman Nancy Mace, who spent her uh, weekend off, her Thanksgiving weekend off, flying over to Taiwan with Democrats in order to let them know that we have their back. And as you'll hear Admiral McRaven say, it's time the American people understood why we would fight and should fight for Taiwan. We need to be educated on that. The average American needs to be educated on that. I think most people listening to this show get it. one 408 7669 Nancy Mace, next. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton with Roe. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my <laughs> name is Chad. His name is Jonathan. But you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. I do think yeah, we need to kind of educate the American people on why it is important to stand by Taiwan. But I do think it would be important for the administration to, you know, get into the public narrative why it would be important for us to stand by Taiwan. I think if we don't stand by Taiwan, if we don't at least uh, do everything we can to deter the Chinese, we've got to make sure China understands uh, they don't even think about this uh, in real terms. There's always going to be the rhetoric. 
you know, she's always going to talk about this, uh, but we absolutely don't want them, you know, crossing into to Taiwanese territory and trying to invade Taiwan. Well, that was Admiral McRaven telling us exclusively how he would handle the Chinese uh, who are continuing to harass Taiwan, the democracy uh, at their doorstep. Congresswoman Nancy Mace went and saw it herself. She had a bipartisan trip over Thanksgiving, and she came uh, wanted to express a solidarity with that country. Uh, Congresswoman Nancy Mace of South Carolina, welcome back. And good morning, Brian. Thanks for having me. First yeah, off, yeah, just, I'm so uh, glad you yeah, went. Yeah. <laughs> yes, sir. Me too. Uh, me too. And, and the fact that we did it in a bipartisan way, I, I think, is really tremendous and important. China's aggression, uh, along with Russia, on our allies, partners, and friends, not only in the Indo-Pacific region but around the world, this is a, this is serious. And I came back with a sense of of, of uh, I think grave seriousness on what's happening over there and how prepared we need to be. Uh, and pushing back against China. And I, when, I, when I landed, even before we got on the plane to go to Taiwan, it was a Chinese embassy here in D.C. demanding we cancel the trip. And I'm sort of like, you know, you know me, Brian, I'm not, I, don't, I don't listen to the demands of communists, right? I'm not going to listen to China. And thank God, you know, my, the Democrats who were with us on this trip, they agreed. And we went there together regardless of what China wanted us to do. How high, was the deli- how high were the officials you met with? We met with the president of Taiwan, President Tsai, and the only reason we were able to get that meeting was because this was a bipartisan trip. Uh, we also met with the Minister of Foreign Affairs, and because a few of us are on the VA committee, we met with their Ministry of Veterans Affairs as well over there. And then we met with some folks from the private sector. Uh, Taiwan is extremely important in the uh, supply chain with regards to chips. Uh, that are produced there, not only for American companies, but companies around the world. So we uh, we saw some of the innovation happening over in Taiwan as well. It was an enormous trip. This was the first time in two years that any delegation from the U.S. House uh, had the opportunity to visit Taiwan. So it was a real honor to be a part of it. Because of COVID, we've not been able to have these kinds of delegations go and visit. And so this is the first time in a long time that that has happened. Um, but it was insightful. You just heard the general say uh, the Chinese threats are real. When we were there, the day that we were there, Brian, there were 12 warplanes that China flew over the, the imaginary line of the 80s, the Air Defense International Zone between China and Taiwan over the ocean, over the straits there. They flew 12 warplanes the day that we were there to show their aggression against Taiwan. And Taiwan is a, a free, they represent freedom and democracy. It's why when I when I touched down, I landed, had a bit of an international incident because I called it Republic of Taiwan. I wanted to recognize the freedom that they represent. And I had Taiwanese people during our trip coming up to me in tears, thanking me. Uh, Are they nervous? That. And uh, they're nervous. They're nervous. And but yet they've never been freer and they've actually their economy's never been better. Militarily, there are specific things we could give them to with, make them adequately defend themselves. Do you know what that is? And do you know where the administration's at with that? Yeah, I mean, I, I can't get into the specifics. I know some of that would be classified information. I think it's really important that we as a country and with our allies and our partners in that region and everywhere, really, that we're updated on technology, that we're updated on asymmetric warfare. Obviously, China has many has much, many more dollars and soldiers as compared to Taiwan. But there's a way for them, I think, from an asymmetric standpoint, to be able to defend themselves uh, and then, you know, make sure they have partners around the world that will come to their defense, including the United States. But it's not just militarily. I think militarily, that's about 20 percent of it. There, there's the other 80 percent, the non-kinetic side of it. Our economies are so intertwined with the supply chain and manufacturing with China. We could make this extraordinarily painful for China economically. 
And I believe our policy should be in that direction. I think we should look at free trade with Taiwan. I think we should look at free trade agreements with other countries where American companies can move their manufacturing and move their business outside of China and to other countries. Americans don't want to pay $5,000 for an iPhone. I get it. But there are other countries that can provide resources and manufacturing. Taiwan, uh, for what it's worth, they can stand up a manufacturing facility for just about anything inside of 60 days. They're one of the world leaders to get PPP out at the beginning of COVID because they have this ability to stand up manufacturing very quickly. Um, I think there are ways that we can avoid conflict militarily with China if we pursue uh, other economic alternatives that make it very painful and expensive for them. The president's got to start explaining to the American public why Taiwan matters. For the most part, they don't know. I I think it absolutely does matter. What we want to fight for, um, go ahead, let's talk about it. But we can't just wait for a crisis to to happen. We can't get up one day and find out they've invaded or they start taking Mm -hmm. the surrounding islands. I think that's the game plan. Here's what President Trump told us on Fox and Friends a half hour ago. Cut 40. None of this happened with us. They didn't send bombers over the middle of Taiwan. He knew not to do that. Had a very good relationship with President Xi. He knew very well you can't send bombers over Taiwan. None of that stuff happened. And they'll wait till after the Olympics and they'll do something with Taiwan now. They no longer respect us. They watched Afghanistan. They watched our generals not knowing what they were doing. They saw all of that and they're watching very closely. They'll be doing things, Russia will be doing things, and maybe even North Korea will be doing things because they're watching our country. We are psychologically weak. We built the military. I built a great military. We had jet fighters that were 40 and 50 years old. We have new everything. We're, we're in such great shape. But you still have to have the brain power to know how to use it. Uh, so he did note it. I mean, that was the case. Why do you think that yeah. they are really threatened by Taiwan now, or is it our weakness? It is a weakness. With the Biden administration, we haven't been strong. We've, uh, you know, basically slapped China on the wrist any time they've gotten out of line or done something. There was no response by the president when China flew these 12 warplanes the day that we were there. Uh, we look weaker on the world stage. And adding to that, and what President Trump just said on the program this morning is 100 percent right, but adding to, I think, the issues that we have overseas, our country is so divided right now. And the world sees that, and we look weaker for it. I think one of the strengths in our visit is that we were bipartisan. It was Democrats and Republicans working together. But when trying to cross the line and went across the 80s, both in the northwest and southwest of Taiwan while we were there that day, there was no response from the administration, right? They just ignored it and put their, you know, going to bury their head in the sand and pretend it doesn't exist. It does exist. Uh, these issues are palpable. They're visible, Afghanistan being an example of how we botched that exit. Um, it's enormously problematic. And here we are, we've got the Olympics, you know, upon us. And what's our response, right? Nothing at this point. And we let everyone turn the cheek to China. We turn a cheek to the Uyghurs and genocide and human rights atrocities over there because we don't want, you know, our KitchenAid mixers to cost a thousand dollars. We don't want to, we don't want to pay exorbitantly for the iPhones. Uh, there is a better way uh, to get out of this thing and to show them we care and show them that it does matter and we will be there for them. So here, the president knows he's got an economic crisis. He knows the inflation's high. He knows gas prices are high. And he thinks he's got the perfect solution. Spend more. Cut 17. It's crazy. (laughs) The fact is the Build Back Better plan is fiscally responsible. It's the first major piece of legislation in more than a decade that is not only fully paid for, but will generate more than $100 billion in deficit reduction. You think that's true? Is that what your math says? 
No, it's not. I mean, it's almost as if they're forming a circular firing squad and then wondering why everyone dropped dead. You cannot uh, reduce inflation by increasing spending, increasing taxes. We were told this thing would cost nothing. It's going to add almost $400 billion to the deficit. It's just like on infrastructure, we were told that uh, it would be paid for. It was not. That is going to add $250 billion to the deficit over the next 10 years. We have been repeatedly lied to. And you cannot reduce, and part of the issue of inflation is because of all the spending, the COVID relief we had last year and this year, those all exacerbate inflation, not to mention the Federal Reserve and the, all the printing of the money that they're doing, and then the increased taxes. And this is palpable. You see it when you go to the grocery store. You see it every time you fill up your tank. A year ago, I was paying half of what I'm paying right now. It is painful for the American people. Talking to Congresswoman Nancy Mason. Congresswoman, we know that the Build Back Better plan or whatever they want to call it, reconciliation package, left the House with everything in it. Now, the Senate's going to gut mm-hmm. it to the point where the House is going to have to vote again. Uh, do, you, do you talk to people offline that may tell you what they think should and will happen? Because a lot of moderates will get blown up if this passes. Yeah, well, a lot of moderates, they voted for this, right? They voted for the full package to go to the Senate. So it's really hard to say. I know that Senator Schumer said he wants to get the Build Back Better passed out of the Senate before the, by Christmas. I don't see how that's possible when you've got a potential continuing resolution looming, appropriations that haven't been approved, the debt ceiling. I don't know how they do it. And thank God there are people like Senator Sinema and Senator Joe Manchin over there uh, putting a halt to some of this, the spending that they're talking about. Uh, Congresswoman, th- uh, thanks so much. I appreciate you talking to us. All right. Thank you so much, Brian. Have a great day. We got it. one 408 She went to Taiwan. She came back, and she's spreading the word. We're going to stand together. Do you, would you think America should be doing that? There's, there's, a, there's a big Trump faction that says, let's not get involved anywhere, anytime. And I just want to hear what you have to say about that. I don't feel that way at all. one 408 Brian Kilmeade Show. There's no topic he won't touch. And there's no opinion he won't engage. It's one of the great joys of my life. Call in with yours at 866-408-7669. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. In China, a man has been banned from an all-you-can-eat barbecue for eating too much. After he ate over three pounds of pork trotters during his first visit and nearly nine pounds of prawns on another visit. Sir, I don't know who you are, but there is a place for you in America. All right. That was uh, Stephen Colbert uh, last night on his Colbert show. Uh, Not exactly Greg Gutfeld, but he's got an agenda. And that was something that wasn't political, which I thought was pretty hard for him to do. Uh, thanks so much. By the way, the president's going to be speaking today and he's going to be talking about what he's going to, what his plans are to get us through the winter. I have an idea. Leave us alone. Let us alone. We got a flu shot. We know where to get the vaccine. We know where to get the booster. We know certain mitigation techniques. If I have something that I'm going through, if I physical, uh, if I'm old or overweight or have an underlying condition, I get it. But instead he's still talking about his mandates, his booster shot and the terror, which is this new variant, I don't see the terror. I don't. I think it's a total overreaction. In fact, if if you if overreaction, if the proper reaction to someone telling you have the runny nose is let's ban nine countries from coming here, uh, then I think you'll be happy with what the president did last Friday. Molly Hemingway weighs in. Cut thirteen. 
We're constantly told that politicians are making decisions based on the science, and yet it really seems they're making really gross political decisions that restrict civil liberties that have no relationship to the science. We don't know that much about the Omicron variant, other than it's silly that we're calling it that out of deference to um, Xi in China. Yeah, because we skipped over, because it sounds too much like him, which I think is a great honor to finally get something named after him that the rest of the world can feel like the disease that he gave us. I think that's interesting. So what the president's getting right now is a lot of pushback. He's getting it from the courts. He's getting it in the economy. The numbers are not lying. He had the off-year election. This is on pure performance, on pure performance. So he wants to tap into a degree, and I think it's, it's it diminishing returns. I'm going to tap into the COVID coverage. That's why you elected me. But now the more you go back, the more you have to go to justify Justify the fact that this you have more deaths than Trump. This thing is not under control. You have your message is not get on with your lives and deal with somewhat of risk. That should be the message, but it's not. But everyone remembers exactly what he said. Everyone remembers no mandates. Now he has mandates. Now he remembers that anybody who who had who had uh, presided over a country that lost over two hundred thousand people, I uh, shouldn't keep that job. That's what he told to President Trump. Well, his numbers are greater now. We're up at seven hundred seventy thousand deaths. Here's Jen Psaki, cut nine. In 2020, when roughly 220,000 Americans had already died of COVID, Joe Biden said about Trump, anyone who is responsible for that many deaths should not remain as president of the United States of America. Is that still the standard now that more Americans have died under President Biden than President Trump? Well, I think the fundamental question here is what are you doing to save lives and protect people? And the former president was suggesting people inject bleach He apparently, reportedly, didn't even share with people he was going to interact with that he had tested positive for COVID himself. He continued to provide a forum for misinformation, which probably led to people not getting, uh, not taking steps forward to get to protect themselves, to wear a mask, to eventually get vaccinated. This president has made the vaccine widely available. He's relied on the health, uh, the advice of his health and medical experts, and he is trying to be a part of solving this crisis, getting the pandemic under control. And I think there's a pretty stark difference between their approaches. It doesn't matter, dude. That wasn't the question about your approach. Whatever approach she's doing and he's doing, it's not working. It's not working. So that's the problem. It's not working. You could say the president made one comment, says, you know, this bleach can get all your services done. It's too bad you can't get it in your body. And everyone said, oh, my God, the people are going to start injecting bleach. It never happened. It was never incidents. It was a side comment by a president who says what's on his mind. He didn't say use bleach. He says it's just too bad you can't clean out your body that way. And just like the Russia thing. Russia, if you're out there, where are the rest of our emails? doesn't mean for them to go and hack our emails. He's trying to make a point that she was so ridiculous with the emails, she left him susceptible. He's trying to make a point then. She's trying to say, well, he was walking around with uh, with a positive test. Yeah, he had one positive test and he had a negative test. And one week later, he's in the hospital. He did not think he was positive at the debate. He did not think he was positive with the Gold Star families. That's the story. But you didn't answer the question that why are your deaths greater? If you got a vaccine, you said you could distribute it, yet your deaths are greater. In comes the Delta variant. You were surprised by that. Well, can think about the president's surprise, 45, when this thing comes rolling in and China didn't give us a heads up. At least we all had a heads up that this was coming. The, um, the other thing is about the mandates, which I think is making everybody miserable. Miserable if you're for them, miserable if you're against them. If you're for me, you're mad at everybody for not getting it. 
And if you're against it, you're mad at everybody for condemning you for not getting it. So the courts have struck it down to contractors who work for the government, to private companies. You cannot mandate that they test their people. You cannot mandate that they vaccinate their people. So, And then a third court case also put this on hold. Uh, that is medical workers who work in Medicaid or work in a facility that takes Medicaid or Medicare. So on those court losses or ties that has those policies on ICE, cut eight. President Biden talks about how respecting the rule of law is one of America's most cherished values. Does that mean that he's going to stop pushing for these vaccine mandates for workers now that federal courts are saying that they don't know if they're legal? Well, let's just let's just clarify exactly what we're talking about here. There are vaccine requirements that and testing. A lot of companies do requirement for to be vaccinated or tested that companies across the country have been putting in place for months. That's absolutely their right to do. There are court cases right now, something that the Department of Justice is fighting, and we are confident in our ability, given it's based on a 50-year law. <sighs> it's you can be confident as you want, but the courts are saying it doesn't work. And when the President of Trump put in 400 judges... It's not to think like Joe Biden. It's not to think like AOC. It's to think like a conservative. If you're upset about that, get bad at Barack Obama for leaving them open for so long. So thanks so much for listening. By the way, the President Freedom Fighter is uh, still ranked in the top 10 of the country. For that, I thank you. Go to BrianKilmeade.com. You can order it now and get it personalized. Also, I'll see you Friday in Ponte Vedra, Saturday in Clearwater, and Sunday, McLean, Virginia, at Tyson's Corner. It's going to be great. Check BrianKilmeade.com for more. From the Fox News Radio studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach, it's Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show, 1-866-408-7669. I appreciate you being here. or coming to you from New York, heard around the country, heard around the world. Uh, we have not discussed this much, but uh, this case was so extraordinary yesterday and the dialogue so interesting and intriguing for us civilians out here, non-law school majors, that I, I thought we really should discuss abortion and what Roe v. Wade will look like. Jonathan Turley standing by uh, or could look like, and we'll get that, uh, probably get an answer from the Supreme Court in June. And Miranda Devine here, the laptop from hell, you know what she's gotten, Hunter Biden's communications. Everyone believes it's him now, now that the election's over. But what he's done and these international deals are beyond comprehension. Why it's not the number one story uh, on every other network, that's something I'll bring up to Jonathan Turley, too. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Growing calls for Olympic boycotts as Beijing continues to deny widespread allegations of human rights abuses. The Women's Tennis Association suspending tournaments within China as it reiterates calls for Chinese tennis star Peng Shuai to be able to speak freely and openly. Yeah, uh, this is unbelievable. Is it time for us to bow out of the China Olympics? The WTA stands up for Peng Shi. Uh, the 35-year-old tennis superstar is now basically under house arrest or actually arrested. They basically disappeared her star for accusing one of their high-ranking officials of sexual assault. And the bully boy nation threatens Taiwan and grows their Muslim concentration camps daily. Is that the people we should be playing games with? The IOC has no problem. Should you? Number two. I've also spoken with the CEOs of UPS and FedEx. 
Now, I can't promise that every person will get every gift they want on time. Only Santa Claus can keep that promise. But there are items every year that sell out that are hard to find. Yes, that's right. Don't blame me. Blame Santa. That's the new baffling message from the White House. We'll discuss it. Number one. The California and San Francisco Departments of Public Health and the CDC have confirmed that a recent case of COVID-19 among an individual in California was caused by the Omicron variant. The individual was fully vaccinated and experienced mild symptoms, which are improving at this point. Doesn't it sound like a scary movie? You get this variant and prepare for a low fever and a runny nose. That is the reason why the market lost 900 points. Uh, Let's welcome in Jonathan Turley. Jonathan, it's always great to talk to you. Thank you. Um, Are you very scared about the Omicron variant? (laughs) I haven't left my basement. Again? I I won't come out. Yeah, I do it usually three times a week, but this is my latest excuse. All right, good. Fantastic. First off, on on, um, what took place yesterday, I found it extraordinary. Did you, being able to hear the audio and this case argued uh, in front of the Supreme Court and hear the Supreme Court justices, including Justice Thomas, actually ask questions? Yeah, I did. It's a shame that they don't go all the way and just have cameras in the courtroom. Their resistance to this type of transparency just continues to baffle me. I think Congress should have stepped in a long time ago and just mandated this. But the argument was very interesting. Um, it had, I think, good arguments on both sides from counsel. But it was also more revealing in, in some respects than uh, some of us expected. Uh, the most obvious is that eyes were on really Chief Justice Roberts, who the pro-choice side really hopes can will go over towards the left uh, to save Roe v. Wade. And, and the other issue, the other justice was Justice Kavanaugh, who tends to have some of those same incrementalist inclinations as Roberts. He did not sound that way yesterday. I mean, he came out swinging, particularly at suggestions that Roe is inviolate, that you really can't mess with it because it's some type of super precedent. In 1973, Roe v. Wade comes down, and since then it's been debated. Now this case, Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health Organization over in Missouri, is front and center. The challenge is instead of saying 24 weeks, make your decision on an abortion, now they say 15 weeks, and they show technology reveals that the, uh, that the fetus can feel pain, can move limbs, can move fingers, uh, suck thumbs, and they say, now does that change things? Here's a little of the exchange. Justice Sotomayor does not think so. Cut 28. I think it's a, an advancement in, in knowledge and concern about such things as uh, fetal pain, what we know the child is doing and looks like and is fully human from a very... There's about 40% of dead people who, if you touch their feet, the foot will recoil. There are spontaneous acts by dead brain people. So I don't think that a response to... Uh, by a fetus necessarily proves that there's a sensation of pain or that there's consciousness. So instead of you talking about women's right to choose, you're talking about the baby being a baby or the fetus being a baby. What do you think was telling about that? Well, that actually upset a number of people, uh, particularly because they were questioning what the role of the court is. Is the court now... Uh, going to base its decision on these types of assumptions 
Uh, or is this a scientific question, a technological question of when a child is now viable? And I, I think that that really sort of um, magnified some of the concerns about uh, where Sotomayor was, was heading. You know, she also said that people who question abortion are doing so out of purely religious views. And one of the justices came back and basically said, what are you talking about? There's lots of secular uh, figures who oppose abortion, question uh, the basis for uh, these assumptions uh, that she was making. Uh, so it was, there were a lot of, of people that were quite upset with those remarks. But, you know, at the end of the day, the question that was most um, fascinating, the one that wasn't answered, was the basis of Roe v. Wade itself. There was very little defense of Roe coming from the pro-choice counsel. They spent most of their oral argument saying that even if Roe was badly decided, you still can't overturn it because it's established precedent. And that's what drew the ire of justices like Kavanaugh, who said, what are you talking about? That here's a long list of cases where we overturned things that we thought were egregiously wrong. Many of them you celebrate every day as some of the greatest decisions we've made. So, but, uh, so you, were you surprised? I mean, that is an element of it to say, uh, hey, I can do this. This uh, fetus is not a human being. That is that is a that is a part of the argument. Are you ups, are you questioning the way she said it, or do, would you say is that is that not a good line of questioning? Well, I think the problem that I had is the sort of definition of what the function of the court is here. Is the court really going to be judging when uh, a fetus becomes uh, a viable human life legally and spiritually? And, you know, the problem is that the, the oral argument, like most of the Roe cases, was all over the board. Yeah. You know, it was like, you know, what is the right based on? What is why do we focus on viability? Can viability change these technical issues? All of them are sort of mixed around without any clarity. And that's one of the reasons why um, some of the justices came back and said, what if we just returned to neutrality? that all of these issues are really not well made for judges and justices. What if we return this to political figures, particularly in the states, to reach their own conclusions? Um, good point. I, I do want you to hear the other area in which Sotomayor was questioning, and that is politics. Should politics play a role in this ultimate decision? Cut 30. Will this institution survive the stench that this creates? in the public perception that the Constitution and its reading are just political acts. I, I, I don't see how it is possible. Uh, Justice Sotomayor, I, I think the concern about appearing political makes it absolutely imperative that the court reach a decision well-grounded in the Constitution. So you thought that you were surprised by that. I think I saw you say on television. Yeah, I actually have a column coming out in about an hour in the Hill uh, newspaper um, criticizing Sotomayor for that exchange. And the reason is that yeah, I smell something different, uh, to, to quote a cat on hot tin roof, it was mendacity. I mean, it is, you know, here you have a ju justices like Sotomayor and Breyer who would still overturn 
cases like Heller on the Second Amendment, Citizens United on corporate speech, without blinking an eye. And yet they were saying that it's absolutely beyond belief that you would consider uh, reducing or, or overturning Roe v. Wade. And indeed, Sotomayor, after that statement, went on and gave an example of what she thought was a political decision. It was Heller. And so, you know, it's, it's, it's incomprehensible what the justice is talking about here. You know, she is part of a group of justices that has repeatedly tried to overturn conservative doctrines without this concern. Not only that, I note in the column, it was just recently that Sotomayor went to a law school and encouraged students to to um, start political campaigns against state abortion laws. And she even said, people tell me I shouldn't be saying this. And then she said, but you should go out and oppose laws like Texas, Mississippi. Well, it didn't seem like the stench was that strong when she said that. Unbelievable. Um, so if I was to ask you your prediction for, I guess, June, they expect this to be a decision to be made? Yeah, I think this is going to be really interesting. I got the feeling, as we expected, that Roberts was groping towards the middle uh, to find a way not to directly uh, overturn Roe. Um, that's still probably the most likely outcome, that they will not overturn Roe, but they could uphold the right of Mississippi and other states to impose this line as early as 15 weeks. That happened to be around the time of what used to be called the quickening. That was a critical line that people talked about in early cases when uh, a woman could feel the first movements of um, a fetus. And so um, they could end up effectively gutting Roe and Casey, saying that states can now ban abortions at 15 weeks, but it would also preserve the right to an abortion. The big question is going to be Kavanaugh and maybe Barrett. You know, it's funny, Barrett has always been cited as the the great threat by the pro-choice movement. Um, she has repeatedly sort of moved to the middle to try to reach compromises. So we'll have to see what those two justices do. But by my count, it seems like we have at least five justices that seem to support the idea that you can have these laws like Mississippi set at this earlier period. Thanks so much, Jonathan Turley. Fascinating conversation. It should be, we'll have a lot of time, other time to discuss it, uh, and we all got a chance to hear it. Jonathan Turley, thank you. All right. All right. When we come back, I'll take your calls. Every Almost every line is full, 1-866-408-7669. Uh, we're talking about that. We're all talking about the president says supply chain, not a problem. Those shelves aren't bare. And if the, cover, if the gifts don't arrive under your tree, it's Santa's fault. I'm not kidding. That's the guy in charge of our economy. Look out, everybody. And we're also talking about the Omicron variant. Am I the only one thinking this is way overhyped? Don't move. Diving deep into today's top stories, it's Brian Kilmeade. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. I've also spoken with the CEOs of UPS and FedEx, which are on track to deliver more packages than ever. Now, I can't promise that every person will get every gift they want on time. Only Santa Claus can keep that promise. But there are items every year that sell out that are hard to find. 
Yeah, uh, that is a comment that took two days to come up with. He was supposed to have a press conference Monday to talk about the supply chain issues. We basically said, uh, you have plenty of stuff, and if you don't get anything, blame Santa. Uh, laugh track. Howard, listening in Orange Grove, New Jersey. Hey, Howard. Hey, hey Brian. Um, I know there's been a lot of commentary about uh, Gene Shaheen talking about revolution if yeah. uh, Roe is, over, is overturned. Uh, I'm not so much worried about that, but uh, I'm worried about if it does get overturned, it may galvanize, in other words, enough people to, you know, cause a, a, what seems to be a, a, a great Republican uh, elections coming up and uh, wipe away some of all this, uh, you know, stuff that Biden's done terrible and take it away from the public. And uh, it may turn out to be a disaster for Republicans. What do you think? Um, I know what you're saying. I mean, they say that uh, for this decision, if this goes against, uh, if this go, if, if it blows up Roe v. Wade and returns the decision to the states, if it's not messaged correctly or the way it's intended, uh, it could blow up and you uh, lose suburban women as well as the youth vote. That's the hardcore, forget about what the actual issue is, pure politics answer. But you have six months to come up with it, and when returning it to the states and being maybe like most Western nations, if messaged correctly and accurately, you could avoid all that. Uh, John, listen on WABC. Hey, John. Hey, John, you're on. I wanted to. Good morning. Great to speak with you. I just wanted to point out that Sotomayor's comments could easily be uh, construed as a veiled threat. Um, when I heard them live yesterday, I was really taken back and I was um, shocked. I think it's very unbecoming of a Supreme Court justice to speak like that. When she said um, the whole court could be blown up if we overturn Roe v. Wade? Yeah, and it was very, it was, it was, it was, if you listen to it live, it's terrifying. She's basically saying that if you don't do what, if you dare go against any cases that we passed under an extremely liberal court for 30 years and overturn them, it's all of a sudden political, and there's going to be consequences to that. And it's basically the, you know, the, the blowing up of the court. That was a supreme sitting Supreme Court justice who made those comments. I find those very distasteful. And then it was brought up uh, Plessy versus Ferguson. It, it really, uh, in you know, codified, uh, codified segregation. So I'm pretty sure that wasn't good. The Dred Scott decision. I'm pretty sure that wasn't good. Obviously, the Supreme Court makes mistakes. What the contention is is they made another, and then to threaten, uh, to threaten the the court. I guess the other Supreme Court justice. If you don't vote the right way. You're going to be in trouble, I think, is uh, was pretty surprising. But I do not hear a lot of audio on Supreme Court decisions. So to me, I was shocked by a lot of it. Eric, who's on WDBO in Orlando. Hey, Eric. Um, hey, Brian. Most of this is, like, scary. The fact that she's been so active out there and speaking about to the public about this, she needs to be forced to be recused. The audacity that she compares... Uh, a brain-dead person to a fetus. My three-year-old granddaughter, who's beautiful, could very easily have not been born here, and yet we celebrate life. bacteria on Mars is life, but this little moving creature, I mean, I'll never need an abortion, and I kind of don't have a, a, a dog in this fight, but come on, what is going on when bacteria is celebrated and fetuses are flushed? Your take. Well, I, I think that decisions uh, got yet to be made. I think it comes down to numbers. I think that you could put Justice Alito and Justice Thomas, they are going to look to blow up Roe v. Wade and return the decisions back to the states. It looks as though 
Joining them there will be Gorsuch. And the other big story will be Amy Coney Barrett, as well as Chief Course Justice, uh, you know, of course, Kavanaugh and Roberts. I think they sounded yesterday like Kavanaugh is ready to vote with the other three. Radio that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. My big takeaway is the Bidens just think they're better than us, better than us regular folks who live here in flyover country. Uh, I mean, you know, last week, Joe Biden's in Nantucket, uh, staying at a billionaire's house, going to a store without a mask. Last year, we knew that Hunter Biden took one million from a Ukrainian energy company, three million from a Russian billionaire and four million with a company with ties to the Chinese Communist Party. And now we learn what you just described. So they think they're better than us. The American people get it, though. And they're not going to stand for it in the next election. Jim Jordan weighing in. That's what he hopes and that's what he thinks. Miranda Devine uh, joins us right now. She's New York Post columnist and author of the brand new book, Laptop from Hell, Hunter Biden, Big Tech, and the Dirty Secrets the President Tried to Hide and the Media Cooperated. Miranda, uh, congratulations on the book, Long in Development. How much is in the book that we did not read in the New York Post? Thanks, Brian. Look, there's quite a bit. Um, I mean, we've we've done the main the main uh, points, which is that uh, Joe Biden met with all of Hunter Biden's uh, business partners and was being paid um, by Hunter. But uh, you know, all his bills were being paid by Hunter. Um, but I guess what we didn't really know, and I didn't realise until I did a deep dive, was just how deep um, Hunter Biden was in the uh, inner sanctum of of Vladimir Putin and President Xi. He was hobnobbing with these oligarchs uh, in, you know, Lake Como and in um, Monte Carlo and in Shanghai and Hong Kong. Um, he was living the life of, of, a, of a billionaire oligarch and um, that was all being, uh, I guess, facilitated by his father. And, um, you know, it, we knew, I guess, about the Air Force Two flight to Beijing with um, his father in 2013. But there were lots of other flights that he was on um, with his dad on Air Force Two that was part of his business deals and included um, bringing along... Um, uh, you know, some of his uh, American business partners as well. So um, I, I think Joe Biden's involvement um, is a lot deeper than uh, than we've even reported in the New York Post. And the question is, why is he, if he's under investigation, what, what's taking so long? We don't hear any progress about it. It's been years now. Who gets investigated for two years and nothing happens to him along the way? We always heard the, the punishment is the process. Yes. Well, look, I think when we see with the Durham investigation, these things do take time. And, you know, at least with Durham, there is some there you know, is. positive outcome coming out of it. So I, I do think that law enforcement, um, if they're doing a thorough job, um, that the laptop uh, does take a lot to get to. And it's not it's n it's not enough by itself. You also need, um, you know, as I had Tony Bobolinsky, Hunter Biden's uh, you know, former business partner, uh, he has a whole trove of WhatsApp messages and documents as well. Did he share, um, did he share with you? Yes, I, I have all of those. And, um, and, 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 you know, that's sort of part of a business, of a puzzle to put together 
uh, with what's in the laptop and you add to that puzzle um, another very crucial uh, piece, which is what Chuck Grasley uh, and Ron Johnson had with their um, Senate inquiry into Hunter Biden. And they had Treasury reports, suspicious activity reports, which have come from the banks, which show millions, tens of millions of dollars flowing into bank accounts associated with Hunter Biden and his partners. So, um, you know, you need all those bits to put them together to create a really very robust case for uh, real corruption that was going on with the Biden family for many years overseas. So when you talk about an investment firm, he teamed with CEFC. CEFC direct links to the Chinese government, and Hunter Biden puts his investment team together to raise money in order to do some of these investments. The Chinese want to have the, the name Biden, want to have that type of influence. What I was stunned by in your book they go. They direct, directly link it to the Belt and Road Program, which was designed to overtake America in terms of global influence. They go to poor countries. They revamp their infrastructure. When they can't pay for it, they take it. Exactly, and they bankrupt those countries when they go into debt to them. Uh, this is the, the really shocking development: is that CEFC was not just some Chinese energy company that the Bidens were doing business with. It was the capitalist arm of President Xi's Belt and Road Initiative. And CEFC uh, was was involved and brokered the biggest deal ever between China and Russia. And this was where China was taking a big chunk of Rosneft, which is the Russian state-owned energy company. And that would have had really dire consequences for America and really for the world. I mean, this was tectonic shifts in geopolitical uh, power games uh, and CFC was right in the middle of it. The president's son was involved in that. And the only reason that never came to fruition was because uh, President Trump was elected and Jeff Sessions um, made a big deal about stopping uh, these Chinese incursions in America and they ended up, um, the Southern District of New York ended up um, arresting one of Hunter's business partners at JFK and then the chairman of CEFC was disappeared in China. And so so while Hunter and uh, his uncle Jim got tens of millions of dollars from CEFC and while uh, Joe Biden was involved in that company and was going to be setting up shop when he finished uh, office as vice president. Yeah. Um, he was going to set up shop with Hunter in an office building in Georgetown as CFC America. None of that happened because basically the Trump administration ruined that deal and the Rosneft deal fell over and President Xi was very angry about it. Uh, they had to pay um, quite a bit of compensation to Russia. But see, he was chairman of foreign relations. It's a Joe Biden had to know he's selling out the country. He's part of a plan to hurt the country, not to get his son rich and him to get rich, but to hurt the country. How do you wrap your head right. around that? Brian, he has been doing this his entire career. When he was uh, head of the Foreign Relations com com commission Committee, he was uh, instrumental in convincing other um, wavering senators to vote for China to be in the World Trade Organization, which was the beginning of the disaster for America and all those jobs and manufacturing going offshore to China. And uh, that was, you know, under the, in the Clinton administration. And um, there were a lot of people on his side of politics who didn't want that to happen, but he pushed it forward. And he was, uh, you know, 
back uh, in his very early days as a senator, he was one of the earliest um, American politicians to be invited to China and to be fated by the Chinese there. They knew what they were doing. They uh, grabbed him very early and he would come back and he would evangel evangelize about the wonders of China and China's not a threat and, uh, you know, having all these long hours of meetings with President Xi. And, you know, Hunter Biden, um, because the way the Chinese work, they have a, a, a system which is about the princelings. They know that if they want to give money and bribe an official, they don't give it straight to that official. They give it to their family members. And so when Hunter Biden arrived with Joe Biden in 2013 to have all these meetings with President Xi in Beijing, the Chinese knew exactly what that meant. That meant, this is America come to do business. Here's my son. Be nice to my son. And they really were nice to his son. Uh, he walked away, Hunter Biden, from that meeting with 10% of a Chinese investment firm, which by 2019, uh, according to documents on the laptop, had 2.5 billion dollars worth of funds under management. Now, um, you know, he still has 10% of that company. And that is basically the president's son having being in business with the Chinese Communist Party. Unbelievable. Miranda Devine, our guest. I want you to hear what Mike Pompeo told us uh, yesterday, or told Sean yesterday, but he was on with us too, Cut 25. We saw this too uh, with the dealings in Ukraine. We saw that he sat on the board of Burisma uh, uh, as an advisor to Burisma with no known experience there. There's something going on there different, fundamentally different uh, than looking for someone who can help your business create wealth through normal business practices. There's, there's, the, there's the real taint there. And I, I can assure you, had something like this happened in the previous administration, the media would be all over it. They'd be making all kinds of accusations. We now know that the media got sucked into the Russia hoax narrative with the Steele dossier, right? They continued to report things that they had to know the sources were, were making up or lying about, and yet they furthered that story. They don't want to touch the Hunter Biden story. And, and how many so-called CIA, FBI agent, security experts said that Hunter Biden's laptop was pure Russian propaganda? Uh, 50 of them, and that included such luminaries as former CIA director John Brennan. Um, you had Leon Panetta. You had um, James Clapper. You had Michael Hayden. I mean, these people should be ashamed of themselves. They abused the uh, authority of their former officers to just... Uh, create a pure political propaganda document which was designed specifically to get Joe Biden out of a spot of bother in the middle of his campaign. And it worked a treat mm. because Joe Biden, uh, a couple of days later, had to appear on stage um, in a mm. debate against Donald Trump. And Donald Trump, of course, brought up all the corruption allegations in the laptop. And uh, Joe Biden just pointed at this letter and said, this is, you know, they've... These esteemed uh, intelligence community operatives have said that that is garbage and it's Russian disinformation. And that was all that the media needed to not cover the story and to actually uh, traduce our reporting. Um, they ignored it or they just maligned it as garbage and made up and fake and Russian disinformation. And, you know, I mean, it's been over a year now and... Uh, the contents of the laptop, we have verified with numerous people who are also, you know, recipients of emails and documents and so on. And um, the, 
the the White House and the Biden campaign has never denied that the contents are correct and that this is Hunter's laptop. And Hunter himself said, certainly it could be my laptop. Yeah. And yet they, they, they refused to answer any questions and to um, confirm uh, that, that Joe Biden is basically compromised when it comes to China and Russia. And he really owes the American people an explanation. And uh, unfortunately, though, I think that um, unless, you know, the Washington Post and the New York Times and CNN and MSNBC actually start being honest with their audience, the White House can just continue to ignore it. Well, I don't know if they can ignore your book. But this is what, when Hunter Biden was asked, here's what he said on a book tour, knowing this would come up. Was that your laptop? For real, I don't know. I know, but, but you know that's... Is, this I is really a... don't know okay. if the answer is. That's you don't know yes or no if the laptop was yours. I don't have any yours. idea. I have no idea. So could have been yours. Of course, certainly. It, 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 there could be a laptop out there that was stolen from me. There could be that I was hacked. It could be that it was, the, that it was Russian intelligence. It could be that it was stolen from me. So why can't you? How about a question of are these your communications? Is this you communicating about your brother's ex-wife, uh, a I widow? I mean, what about what about a specific question like that? Well, he went on a massive book tour um, with with his memoir, his sort of crack addiction memoir, um, earlier in the year, and he just got softball questions. And you know, one of the major things that that I found was um, with Barisma, for instance. Uh, he was getting paid $83,000 plus a month, and that salary was cut in half when his father ceased to become um, to be uh, vice president a few weeks later. So, I mean, what does that tell you? That tells you that he was not as useful uh, yeah. to them after that. And and also, um, what I find extraordinary is that um, the New York Times and the Washington Post and others have uh, keep on reporting and were reporting at the time that um, Joe Biden. Uh, ordered, you know, told Ukraine that they had to sack their chief prosecutor, um, Viktor Shokin, because um, according to Joe Biden, he wasn't investigating any corruption and he was corrupt himself. Well, um, that wasn't true. Viktor Shokin, at that very time that Joe Biden called for him to be sacked, to be fired, was investigating Burisma and he had just seized property belonging to Burisma's owner in Kiev. He'd seized you know, a couple of mansions, blocks of land, uh, a Rolls-Royce um, phantom. Um, he, he was uh, actively going after them. And he has said since in uh, interviews that he was about to subpoena Hunter Biden and his partner, Devin Archer, who, by the way, Joe Biden met in his office in the White House and took a selfie with that went up on the Burisma website. Um, and that then there was a frantic, I've got yeah. the emails in the book, frantic emails coming from uh, the lawyer for the for the vice president saying uh, to Hunter's business partner, Eric Schwerin, please get that down, get that get that picture down, um, which they did get it down, but too late because it was seen. And, you know, this just at a time when America was, um, you know, gotcha. lecturing or Joe Biden was lecturing Ukraine about corruption. Um, yep. And people in the State Department were coming to Joe Biden and to his office and saying, please, you're making our life very difficult. You need to understand how bad this looks. But they ignored him. It's unbelievable. And he was able to sit in his basement and not get any interviews. And he was able to coast to that election along with the compliant press. But you're bringing it forward. 
Uh, Miranda Devine, there's got to be somebody else besides Fox and New York Post to be responsible and continue to report this story. The book is out, Laptop from Hell, Hunter Biden, Big Tech, and the Dirty Secrets the President Tried to Hide. Miranda, thanks so much. Thanks so much, Brian. Congratulations. Back in a moment. Coming to you on a need-to-know basis because, man, do you need to know. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Did you overrate the impact of social media? And in retrospect, do you, will you need it if you want to run again? I think that people are seeing the great job that we did. You know, again, we had the greatest economy in the history of our country. We rebuilt our military. We had great military support. You look at the Hispanic no, support we've had. We had the best Hispanic support. I just think that... People are missing us. But, but what really, about social media, Mr. President? Word, uh, but what about social media? Nice. Did it hurt you more than help you? And now that you're off it and, you're, and you see that nothing's really changed with your numbers except actually going up, do you think that you'd have a, you overemphasize social media? It is strange because my numbers now are the best they've ever been. I think that's because maybe they look at the opponent and they look at what's happening to our country. Uh, I, look, I think social media is important. I think we have some very bad people. I think a lot of illegal things were done with social media. You understand where they can do 417 million. You know, if you spend more than $5,600, they put you in jail. And yet here's the guy spent $417 million and nothing happens to him. Oh, on the election. So I think social media, I think social media is fine if it's used properly. And I think we're going to have a platform that's going to be incredible. And that's what's being developed right and, now. And, and the president has his own uh, spec. Uh, he came out and he got millions of dollars. It's uh, going through the roof. So he's going to launch his own platform. But that was my question to him about 90 minutes ago. Do you really think you overemphasize it and maybe valued it too much? Because nothing seems to have changed since you were kicked off social media. Joe, this on WRCN on Long Island. Hey, Joe. Brian, good morning. Listen, I was going to call Biden the Grinch, but at least the Grinch had a heart. So I call him the Biden Meister. No toys for you, children of America. You know, shame on him to blame Santa for this. It's all his fault. The hottest toy out there isn't Baby Yoda, Brian. It's the bumbling Biden dog, blah, 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 like your bumble snowman from Rudolph. And it has a scratch and sniff feature also. And I got a word of advice. Biden might want to stay away from Tickle Me Elmo and the Cabbage Patch doll joke. And Biden's starting another a store. It's, it's called the Buck 250 store. No more dollar store because he saved us 10 cents, <laughs> Brian. All right, Joe, you had that saved up. Uh, the president did let everybody down by saying it's Santa's fault. Fix the supply chain problem. Stop the quips. You had three days to come up with something. Came up with nothing. BrianKillMe.com. Go to the President Freedom Fighter. Get it customized. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. The latest uh, we come to you from New York, heard around the country, heard around the world. The great Gary Sinise, one of America's finest actors, who does more for the military than anybody I've ever met in my life, uh, continues to give back to those who serve and the families uh, left behind when they do not come home. He's going to be with us at the bottom of the hour. Also, we're going to be joined. Uh, we are going to be uh, joined by Admiral uh, Brett Girard in a matter of moments. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. 
Number three. Growing calls for Olympic boycotts as Beijing continues to deny widespread allegations of human rights abuses. The Women's Tennis Association suspending tournaments within China as it reiterates calls for Chinese tennis star Peng Shuai to be able to speak freely and openly. Is it unbelievable? Is it time for us to bow out of the China Olympics as the WTA stands up for Peng Xiao, the 35-year-old tennis superstar, because she basically is under house arrest. The bully boy nation threatens Taiwan. We know what they did to Hong Kong and what they're threatening to do to Tibet along with the Muslim concentration camps. Should we be doing downhill skiing with these people? We'll talk about it. Number two. I've also spoken with the CEOs of UPS and FedEx. Now, I can't promise that every person will get every gift they want on time. Only Santa Claus can keep that promise. But there are items every year that sell out that are hard to find. Don't blame me. Blame Santa. That's the new baffling message from President Biden. Yet, he wants to pass a $2 trillion social spending package. He says that will reduce the deficit. Does he think anyone's paying attention? Number one. The California and San Francisco Departments of Public Health and the CDC have confirmed that a recent case of COVID-19 among an individual in California was caused by the Omicron variant. The individual was fully vaccinated and experienced mild symptoms, which are improving at this point. Omicron is here. Do you know what that means? Low fever and a runny nose could be your fate if exposed. Why is everyone panicking about this? Why was there a press conference about this? Why was South Africa and the other African nations punished because of this? Is that the prudent thing to do? It might be. It doesn't seem like it. Admiral Brett Gerard joins us now, former Assistant Secretary for Health and Acting FDA uh, Commissioner and a great communicator, I might add, and WHO board member. Uh, Admiral, welcome to the Brian. Welcome back, I should say, to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me, Brian. Admiral, what's the correct way? to respond to a variant like this? Well, the correct way, first of all, is to not panic, uh, to not use it as an excuse to do things that you should have done months ago, but to be transparent with the American people. Look, we should be concerned because it has many mutations, but we know that our testing work. We know uh, we have pretty good idea that our vaccines will be at least mostly effective, particularly with a booster, and with the new oral drugs coming out, we have all kind of weaponry against this. It's probably been circulating for a month. It's probably been in the United States for a month. So everybody be calm, use the tools that we have, and continue with our way of life. Why wouldn't we be calm? I mean, it's mild symptoms, runny nose. Mostly younger people get it. Most, Almost everybody recovered. They're not panicking in Africa. Why are we panicking here? You, you know, I, I don't know why we are panicking if we are. Um, I had a call with the lead physicians in South Africa very early this morning, and they did confirm that it's mostly among the young. Um, and there's a couple uh, inferences we could make. Um, their vaccination rate is very high in the older population, and the older population are really not getting it now. It doesn't mean they're not going to get it in the future, but right now they seem protected. And you are correct, among the young, and we do expect that among young anyway, that uh, the uh, COVID-related uh, diseases are going to be relatively mild. Not 100%, but almost always they're mild and easily recoverable. So here's what the administration says to get ahead of it this winter. Expand access to boosters, launching family vaccination clinics, distributing distributing 50 million free tests. Health insurance must cover 100%. All international travelers required to test negative within one day of departure. Calling out businesses to move quickly to require workers to get vaccinated on tested 
are tested weekly. Anything you disagree with or would add to that list? Yeah, well, I of course, I do believe vaccination is a great defense. And I do urge uh, everyone, especially those at high risk, meaning older or those with comorbidities, to get their booster shot. Very important. Um, I don't believe vaccine mandates are the way to go. I think they're counterproductive, and I think they're going to destroy much of our workforce. Um, I certainly agree with testing, uh, with home testing. Uh, after the Biden administration let it drop by 50 or 60 percent, they're getting back on the ball. Um, I don't think that the extra requirements for travel are necessary, and I do think they could be counterproductive. I think where they are right now is just fine, but let's hear what their plan is. So I partially agree with it, and partially I think they're just doing things to make themselves look like they're doing things that are not going to have an effect or could be counterproductive. He's also going to keep the mask mandates in place for, uh, for trains and planes until at least March. Is that something you would subscribe to? So I think with Omicron right now, I, I think it is reasonable uh, to keep masks on crowded uh, public transportation. You know, I, I get nervous about doing things till March or April. We just really have to see what Omicron's going to do. Um, I think it is a reasonable step. Um, I don't uh, feel, uh, you know, I don't feel compelled to wear masks, uh, certainly outdoors and most places indoors, because I'm fully vaccinated and I'm, I'm relatively healthy. But, you know, it is not an unreasonable step to keep masking if you're in a crowded public transportation. I can't can't fault the administration on that. It's probably a reasonable step. So you you are against these men. You want people to get vaccinated. You want to educate so they make their own decisions. Is that because you understand the American psyche or this whole thing of forcing people to do something that they might have reservations of doing just doesn't it's not the way to to run a country? I, I think there's two two reasons. Uh one is a public health reason, and I, and I believe that mandates are counterproductive. It politicizes vaccines. It pushes people into the corner. It lets them trust the government less than they should. So I think from a public health perspective, the mandates are a wrong way to go. Now, I'm not a, a lawyer or you know, a constitutional rights scholar, but just as an American, uh, I do believe in individual liberties, and uh, people should have the right to determine um, how they want to go about, especially if there are alternatives. Um, and that was pointed out in court cases like natural immunity should be recognized to a degree. Why isn't it? Um, uh, Admiral, can you bring me behind the scenes? Because a lot of those same people are still there. Anthony Fauci has no interest in talking about it. I don't, we don't know about durability. Well, you don't know about durability about the vaccine. Can you tell me what, what is the pushback there? I don't get it. You know, I, I don't I don't know either because the public health, uh, you know, the science says and if you read the CDC report, which they did, but sort of it's sort of under, a, you know, in the closet, it says both natural immunity and vaccine immunity provide protection, very strong protection, at least through six months. Um, and again, I want people to get vaccinated. Even if you've had a COVID, you should get vaccinated. But the idea of forcing someone and making them lose their job and their livelihood because they have natural immunity versus vaccine immunity just doesn't seem to be justified. Uh, to me. And the courts pointed out there are alternatives given the science. So the courts are at least uh, very well grounded in public health measures, even if the public policy from the administration right. isn't. Admiral, if I was a decision maker, I would want my medical professionals there. I would also want my economists there. And I would like my psychologists there because all three have to be taken into account. Because if you just say, well, I want to shut it down, I want to keep everyone safe. There's a there's a ripple effect to that. 
Why is it that we, almost a year plus we are still trying to we can't let Anthony Fauci and his eventual replacement run our lives anymore? Well, when I was on the task force, you just didn't have uh, the docs around the table. Um, and we welcomed people like the Secretary of the Treasury, the Secretary of Labor, the Secretary of Housing, um, uh, the Secretary of Agriculture, because all these things are important. And, you know, yes, we can limit the virus by locking everyone in their homes, but you do incredible damage to public health. The economy is the most important factor for long-term health of our country. So all these things need to be taken in a, into account. It's not an infection control exercise run by an unelected bureaucrat, you know, in a cubbyhole at CDC. It's the future of the country in a right. holistic way, um, plus the liberties and rights issues. So, yes, it's much bigger than Fauci or much bigger than any doc, including myself. That's why you need exactly as you said, uh, everyone around the table. Look, we had 100,000 overdose deaths last year, up 35 percent. The American Academy of Pediatrics says we have a crisis in mental health for our children. Uh, these are all the known consequences yes. of continued unjustified lockdowns and, you know, uh, absolutely, you know, putting Americans uh, under fear constantly when we don't have to be. And masking kids. And please, please tell me uh, that you, I mean, these people don't even understand what they're doing long term to tell a first grader last year and a second grader this year, keep the mask on. Uh, and we well, don't even know how you make sounds to learn how to spell and speak. Yeah, we're we're outliers in the world uh, in terms of that. Certainly, when you're, um, you know, older, uh, masks are very imperfect, but they're reasonable. But remember, the rest of the world disallows masks under five years of age. Says you shall not do it because of the harm. And under 11, it's only under very certain circumstances, and when the children, uh, you know, are okay with it and it doesn't interfere. So, you know, you know, we are an outlier in that. Uh, and uh, certainly under five years of age, in my mind, is insane. There's no data to prove it. Um, and, uh, you know, we're an outlier yeah. uh, from the world. That's what I can say. So I, I consider When you're it, older right. and very crowded indoor places, mm -hmm. yes, it's reasonable. Uh, but, you know, aside from that, like I said, I saw a person riding their bike on the street yesterday wearing a mask but no helmet. Um, you know, we need common sense, right? We need common sense measures, and that isn't common sense. Here is Anthony Fauci, not yo showing common sense, but showing political sense, talking about the border where almost 2 million people have crossed illegally, not, not counting the gotaways that we didn't even know crossed, which, by the way, a lot of the fentanyl comes from that you just discussed. Cut six. Dr. Fauci, as you advised the president about the possibility of new testing requirements for people coming into this country, does that include everybody? The answer is yes, because you know that the new, uh, uh, the new uh, uh, regulation, if you want to call it that, is that anybody and everybody who's coming into the country needs to get a test within 24 hours of getting on the plane to come here. But well, what about people who don't take a plane and just these border crossers coming in in huge numbers? You know, that's, that's a different issue. For example, when you talk, we still have Title 42 with regard to protection at the border. So there are protections at the border that you don't have the capability, as you know, of somebody getting on a plane, getting checked, looking at a passport. We don't have that there. But we can get some degree of mitigation. Is there something to do to test these people somewhere else? There, no, there, there, is, there is testing at the border under certain circumstances. There's almost no testing at the border, and, and he is spitting it. He would have no problem if that was a football game, 
Like he would have no problem saying those 100,000 Michigan fans are putting themselves at unnecessary risk if he thought so. But he has a huge problem saying 2 million illegals coming into our country from 100 different countries are, di- are, are no problem. What is going on there? Can you, can you tell me? Well, well, it's unexplainable because it's complete hypocrisy and, you know, it's using science in one circumstance but using politics in the other. Um, I don't remember Tony ever going to the border when I was in the administration. I went to the border five times and deployed there. So I know exactly what's going on in the border. And it's, of course, absurd to say that to get into this country now, you need to be vaccinated and have a test three days ahead of time. But we're letting millions of people who've been in congregate areas uh, together uh, coming up uh, Central America and and through the border um, to let them in without being vaccinated, without being tested. And from what I understand, they they want us probably when we come back internationally uh, legally you know, to quarantine, that's at least on the, you know, on, on, on the discussion item, uh, which, which is completely opposite from what we're doing at the border. We let everyone come through. I'm not making an immigration statement here. I'm making a public health statement. They should be vaccinated immediately. They should be tested immediately and they should be followed up. What's good for people coming in at LaGuardia should be good for come for people coming in across the border. We're all the same people. And I'm very worried about the risk of covid across the border, right. as well as other diseases, influenza and others, which was a, a, a major issue in 2019. And about 20 percent coming across have some one of those things you mentioned. Lastly, real quick, the president, uh, President Biden, when Biden was running for president, he told turned to Donald Trump and said, anyone who's responsible presided over a country that allowed 200,000 people to die from COVID-19 virus should not be president anymore. He's allowed more than that. Should what? And he in response, they had no response. He had a vaccine. He had a program in place that you guys left. And he said that you guys were totally incompetent, especially the president. What's your reaction to him hitting that horrible number? Well, my reaction is uh, talk and political campaign rhetoric is really cheap. Um, And despite having vaccines available for everyone brought to you by Operation Warp Speed, aside from having testing for everyone brought to you by our administration, uh, antiviral medications, monoclonal antibodies, at least as many people will die under the first year of the Biden administration as died under the Trump administration. Um, and, and I think, uh, I hope the Americans realize that uh, campaign slogans are not solutions. And what we've seen is mixed messaging, poor execution. Look, testing went down by 60% the moment Biden hit office. Um, these are real. These are real things. These mandates the mandates for vaccines are because of a failure of communication and mismessaging. Yeah. So um, all I have to say is this is a difficult problem. Um, the pandemic is, is complex. It's new. Yep. We have weapons. Give the American people the right information transparently and humbly and give them the complete information and they will make the right decisions. That's what we need to do, and that's what's not being done by this administration. Admiral, thanks so much. I truly appreciate you cutting through the politics and getting to the facts. Admiral Brett Juror, appreciate it. Thank you. Uh, when we come back, your calls, one 866 and then J.D. Vance. Don't move. Newsmakers and newsbreakers. Hear it first, only on The Brian Kilmeade Show. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Called on the Biden administration to impose a diplomatic boycott. 
I've also suggested to the Japanese that I'd applaud them if they were to do the same thing. But I want to be clear, Larry, it's a diplomatic boycott that I've called for. I think the athletes need to decide for themselves. My sympathies go to them. They've worked so hard to get to this point. That's a decision that they will have to make. Uh, that is uh, the comments from uh, from the senator, uh, Haggerty, to talk about the possibility of boycotting the Olympics. And just because the actions of China doesn't leave us any choice. Or should we just ignore that, let the athletes be athletes and keep them out of it? Because it would result in China, of course, staying out of our Olympics. And it would be very similar to the 1980s. J.D. Vance joins us now, author of Hillbilly Elegy. He's a, oh, I'm sorry. He's going to be joining uh, after that. My bad. He's going to be joining us right after that. And here's the thing about uh, what uh, J.D. has to say. I know in theory it's a good thing to do, but a lot of Republicans are divided on that, including the president of the United, former president of the United States. He said, keep the athletes out of this. He said, I remember when Jimmy Carter did it, and it really didn't help anybody. So when Jimmy Carter decides to boycott the Olympics in 1980, they boycott—the uh, Russians, the Soviet Union boycotts in 1984, and then we end up with two Olympics that— you know, we got Mary Lou Retton and we got some big, big stars out of it. Uh, but those 1980 Olympians who at that point, they were pretty much amateurs who give up all their lives for that moment in the sun to possibly get a sponsorship deal or just have that sense of accomplishment. That's gone forever. So I know I'm on both sides of the argument. I just don't think it goes back to the IOC. You cannot let these countries even bid for the Olympics. And what they do is they hold them hostage because they know the Olympic movement depends on them executing. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. I took in billions, hundreds of billions of dollars in taxes and tariffs from China. We never got 10 cents for 40 years. They never paid us anything. Hundreds of billions of dollars. And businesses were starting to come back to us. China respected our country. Russia respected our country. I stopped the pipeline going to Europe. Biden approved it. But, of course, he stopped the Keystone pipeline mm-hmm. in our country, which and others right. he's trying to stop. Now, we have a group of people. I don't know if it's Biden. It might not be. But we have a group of people that are destroying our country and perhaps knowingly destroying our country. Uh, that was the president of the United States a half hour, about 90 minutes ago on Fox and Friends, joining us now to discuss this. Uh, J.D. Vance, he wants to be the next senator from Ohio. And, you know, he's the best-selling author of his movie, uh, Hillbilly Elegy, who also became a very successful movie. Uh, J.D., uh, welcome back. Uh, so the president of the United States is is weighing in on uh, all things that's going on with China in particular. And there's a strong sense that maybe we shouldn't even be competing over there. He He came back and said, I still think we shouldn't punish the athletes. Where do you stand? Yeah, you know, I, I think that what these athletes are doing is they see that China is a big market and they frankly don't see themselves as American citizens or as dedicated to the American. Please. I do think that we need to start making the entities that are dealing, doing business with the Chinese pay because what we've learned over the past few years, I mean, Trump mentioned uh, the tariffs, which I think were important and very effective. And it's unfortunate that Biden administration is going the other direction. But what we've learned, if anything, is that the Chinese and the people doing business with the Chinese only respond to penalties. They don't respond to complaining. They don't respond to finger-wagging. They respond to penalties. And we've got to have a government willing to fight for our interests over the Chinese interests. 
And what is the the sense of uh, China's role in this extension of the problems we're having with this supply chain? Because they're having their own problems, and I can't see who's benefiting and who's hurting more. Can you? You know, I, I think that one of the reasons the Chinese are hurting, uh, as I understand it, is they've been incredibly aggressive about COVID. You know, I mean, it's, it's a totalitarian state, so they will, like, literally, you know, shut people in their homes, lock them in their homes, weld the doors shut. Uh, of course, you can't do that. We've learned that the hard way in the United States. You can't shut down your economy. I think the Chinese are, are facing some of their own consequences. But I, I think the, the, the bigger lesson for us is that we shouldn't be in a position where we're so dependent on the Chinese that when, when there's a massive supply chain disruption in China or in the, the delivery of goods between China and the United States, we shouldn't be so vulnerable to that. And I think, unfortunately, we've gotten ourselves in that position, uh, which is not real freedom. It's not real prosperity. It's nice to have the cheap things from China. Uh, in some ways, but we, I think we learned the hard way that it's a cheap high because when the sugar runs out and the Chinese are no longer sending us our stuff, uh, we've we've got to get it somewhere else. Were you for the bipartisan bill that passed a couple of weeks ago in, in infrastructure? No, I, I wasn't, Brian. And, you know, one of the things that I, I, I argued from the very beginning, I mean, months ago on this infrastructure bill, first of all, yes, we do need real infrastructure, you know, $1.2 trillion, $1.3 trillion bill, probably $200 billion, $300 billion is good infrastructure that we actually need. The rest of it is a bunch of Democratic pet projects. But the, the thing that I really worried about is that we would give the Democrats this bipartisan flag to wave around. We basically give them a huge victory lap that they could use to then force a lot of additional spending uh, down the throats of the American taxpayer and the American consumer. And that's, that's what we're seeing now. I mean, I, I don't know what will ultimately pass as part of this Build Back Better agenda, but it looks like something very big will pass. And you, you, you know, one of the things I think a lot of folks forget is that much of the argument that Republicans made for joining on with that so-called bipartisan deal is that it would prevent the Democrats from yep. putting a lot of spending goodies in the, in the package. Well, what the Democrats have just done is taken all the things that they promised the Republicans they wouldn't put in the infrastructure bill, and they put it in the Build Back Better bill. So the Republicans got totally played on this. Uh, and it's, I think you know, one of the reasons I'm running for Senate is because I want to be the type of guy who doesn't get played by the Democrats when we have these big fights. Yeah, I mean, you pay the price for bipartisanship. So Senator Cassidy and company in Portman, the guy you want to replace, went along with it because he's got the OMB background. He knows we do need infrastructure. He knows Ohio could benefit for some of these projects. But then he, he just embarrassed those people, those 19 and those handful of uh, congressmen and women by going along with it. But the president says even though inflation is high. Even though the workforce is far too low, there's not enough people in this workforce, maybe uh, four out of every 10, just choosing not to work, four million quit last, uh, last month. Here's what he said about the Build Back Better plan, cut 18. Nothing will be more expensive for American families than a no vote on the Build Back Better plan. I believe we simply can't afford to do nothing and wait and see what happens. In the moments we face today, that's just isn't a responsible course. We live in uncertain times. So make sense of that. What, that will hurt. That'll be it'll be expensive not to pay. <laughs> uh, you're, you're asking me impossible to make sense of what Joe Biden has said. That's a very hard thing to do. I mean, you know, this this guy, you know, who this reminds me of just listening to this clip and listening to some of the other stuff he said. You remember Baghdad Bob back in 2003, yeah. like the guy who was promising uh, Iraqis in the world that you know, the Americans weren't weren't being successful even as the tanks were like literally rolling in 
in the background. You know, Joe Biden keeps on he uses the same talking point. His whole administration uses the same talking point that things are not going to get more expensive, that inflation is not a problem. And yet, you know, we're now 10 months into this thing, 11 months into this thing. It is there for all to see. You cannot deny it anymore. This guy continues to do it. And, and the thing, you know, there have been a lot of bad policies from the Biden administration. But the thing that I think is just catastrophically dumb, as, especially as, as we get, you know, in my neck of the woods in Ohio and into the beginning of a pretty cold winter, is the energy policies of the Biden administration. Like the supply chain problems, look, they, they deserve a lot of the blame, but some of this is long-term, you know, bad policy making from Americans over three generations. But we had real energy independence under President Trump, and now we have energy dependence. That's bad for our manufacturers because they need low-cost energy. It's bad for you at the pump when you go fill up your tank of gas. It's bad for Ohioans who got to heat their homes this winter. It's just a really crazy unforced error, and it's one of the things uh, that's making everything get more expensive in this country. Uh, last, uh, J.D., last item. This just came across. There's about 16, 17 senators uh, that do not want to fund the government uh, if, uh, if they don't get rid of the mandates, uh, if Joe Biden doesn't get rid of the mandates. Here's what Mitch McConnell said about that. Next week, we're going to have a vote on the vaccine mandate prohibiting that regulation from going into effect. I think it has a decent chance of passing the Senate. Uh, I don't think shutting down the government over this issue is going to get an outcome. We're not going to shut the government down. That makes no sense for anyone. Uh, almost no one on either side thinks that's a good idea. President Trump says that's weakness. Other people say that's leadership. Does, what does J.D. fans say? Yeah, I, I, I think that uh, I agree with the president on this. I mean, we, we have to use the leverage that we have when we have it. And at this point, you know, the OSHA mandates are, first of all, a horrible unconstitutional infringement of liberty. But it's, they also could, could destroy our, our economy, Brian. I mean, we're talking about a supply chain crisis. We could lose 20 to 30 percent of our truck driving workforce if this mandate goes into effect. Think about those poor truck drivers. Think about poor us uh, who need the things that those truck drivers deliver to our economy every single day. Uh, if we don't use the leverage that we have, and unfortunately, as a minority party, one of the few points of leverage we have right now is we can say we're not going to expand the debt limit unless the Biden administration rolls back this destructive anti-constitutional uh, amendment. I think we should do it. I think we should use the power that we have. Uh, I think that it's politically smart, but most importantly, it's good public policy, because if this mandate goes into effect, everything that you and I worry about that we've been talking about, Brian, it's going to get five times as worse this time next year. No question. I, I think that he's paying such a price. And I, I saw the breakdown of uh, what happened in New Jersey and Virginia and a lot of it had to do with the oppressive mandates and restrictions from the coronavirus. And yet he's hurting himself by continuing to do that. It seems to me that Republicans might be able to do him a political favor if he would just say, OK, I had no choice. But he's not going to play that game and the mandates will stay. I, I just don't think shutting down the government is going to benefit Republicans. But I understand your, your philosophy. Uh, J.D., if people want to support your Senate run, how do they do it? Yeah, the, the, the best place to go is JDVance.com. Ohio is a big state. We've got a lot of momentum, but, but you know, we can use all the help we can get. Uh, they can learn about the campaign, volunteer, support us with resources. All those things really matter. Uh, and uh, JDVance.com. So in the two polls, it's been a while since I've seen a, a poll, but you are trailing Josh Mandel. How do you plan on closing that gap? 
You know, I think that what we've seen in the numbers is that every every month we go up and, and, and the other candidates go down. And the race is still a ways away. You know, we're five months away uh, from the actual primary. Um, that's all we've really got to do. I don't think I don't think it's, it's actually too tough. We just got to keep on gaining. I think the last poll that I saw actually had us tied for the lead. Uh, so long as we keep our momentum, we're going to win this race. And, you know, certainly that's 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 what the direction of the race is pointing is me gaining and everybody else losing. That's where you want to be. And you you uh, would welcome a debate. Yeah, we've actually done like six or seven candidate forums that are kind of debates. You know, we, we, we have some exchange. We go back and forth. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, we're, we've already done some. We're going to keep on doing those. And I think, again, if you watch those debates, it's pretty clear. Uh, I think I think I've got the right message. And I think I'm actually talking about things that people care about, not just throwing slogans and talking points at them. So the Protect Ohio Values PAC uh, originally did a poll in April and you were trailing 25 to 6 percent. And now in the last poll, uh, he only got you by three points. So I know that's not an official Gallup poll and certainly not an election result. But it does show people are listening. Uh, J.D., good luck in the sprint to the finish. Thanks, Brian. Good to talk with you. Yep, and have a great holiday. Uh, 1-866-408-7669. When we come back, we'll find out if there's a need to know more. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. Welcome back, everybody. I'm just looking at the time right now and realizing as much as as much information is in my brain, there's still some room. So let's go find out if there's more for you to know. More to know. Sponsored by Oxford Gold Group. Call today to learn how you can protect your retirement and savings account. 833-600-GOLD. That's 833-600-G-O-L-D. All right, don't pull the trigger. He didn't pull the trigger. That's what Alec Baldwin's saying in an interview I will certainly watch as he talks for the first time extensively with George Stephanopoulos about what happened on the Rust set that resulted in his the death of the cinematographer. Here's a little from that interview, Cut 44. Wasn't in the script for the trigger to be pulled. Well, the trigger wasn't pulled. I didn't pull the trigger. So no. you never pulled the trigger? No, 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 no. I, I would never point a gun at anyone and pull a trigger at them, never. How did a real bullet get on I, that I, set? I have no idea. Someone put a live bullet in a gun, a bullet that wasn't even supposed to be on the property. Evidently, the gun might have been, had a bullet from a previous movie, somebody said. Also heard people were actually using live ammunition because it was an open field out there in Arizona. The people were actually shooting. In Arizona, it's not like New York City. People got guns. No, it's true. At the same time, don't you have a whole prop coordinator to just do that specific job to make yeah. sure the props don't, aren't loaded like that? An armor or something, whatever they're called. And also, what happened to Baldwin saying he wasn't going to talk? <laughs> Until, wait, let me do a primetime special. Right. Uh, did he say he wasn't going to talk? I or? think. But didn't he say that like in Vermont or something? I'm not oh, speaking I'm not about like, this yeah, any further. I'm not further. supposed to say anything. Uh, you know, he said some nice things about her, obviously. I mean, I can't imagine. He looks terrible. I mean, this is like one of the best-looking guys around. He looks like the, number one, he's just getting older. Number two is he must be living a hard life. Number three is he's been, this is the worst thing he said by far that's ever happened to him. I do agree with all of that, even though the cynical part of my brain wonders, like, he is an actor, and he's crying on, he's crying with Stephanopoulos. Is he being sincere or is he acting? I mean, we can watch tonight and decide. He is a really good actor. That's the problem with being a good actor. Here's what Greg Jarrett said about the trouble he may or may not been in. Cut 45. If Alec Baldwin thinks this somehow absolves him for potential criminal culpability, 
he's sorely mistaken. The issue is not whether he pulled the trigger or the gun went off accidentally, which is hard to believe, uh, because this isn't an intent crime that's being investigated. It's a gross negligence crime. And so prosecutors are focusing not on the trigger pull, but on the handling of the gun by Baldwin prior to the shooting incident. Was he grossly negligent and reckless? Did he fail to exercise due caution as the law requires to ensure the safety of others? Here's a couple of things. I know people that work with him at Stagehands. Yeah, the guy, he's my neighbor. He's got his own company. And he says he is, uh, doesn't know a single person that likes him. He said from, co-actor, uh, from his co-actors, uh, co-stars, to people at work, he treats everyone like crap. And that's a question. Now that he needs eyewitnesses and people to step up, people got to tell the truth anyway. That shouldn't be a factor. But in case you think that there's a lot of goodwill for him, unless he dramatically changed in the last five years, this is where you really, you you sow your own fields. It's true. But like you said, everyone should be speaking honestly to begin with. So that, you know, may be slightly influential. But uh, Greg Jarrett's right. It's not whether he intended to pull the trigger or not. Were his actions just so careless and reckless? Like, that's the... That's the issue. That's the state of mind. If you don't mind. pull the trigger and the gun goes off because of a malfunction, well, malfunction, and you were pointing it. Well, yeah, malfunction. But if he's like, you know, exactly like handling it very carelessly, pointing in the direction of people, like a standard that the normal rational person would think would be like, why are you doing that? And he was still doing it. It's a problem. Yes. Next. Major League Baseball owners locked out players at midnight Wednesday. It's not a big deal. First work stopper since 1995. But here's what is a big deal. If catchers and pitchers are late, if this season is delayed, it's going to be so much different than 1995 when baseball was remarkably more popular than it is right now. They cannot afford to sit out and lay out. And then didn't like it take them a long time to build up from 95, right? Yeah. It was a struggle. They had the home run. Uh, they had the big scandal. They, then they had the home run race that helped them back. Uh, so the lockout ended the sports labor piece after 9,740 days over the course of 26 years. The two sides are far apart on key economic issues. Management negotiators left the union's hotel nine hours before the deal lapsed. Major League Baseball's 30 controlling owners then held a brief digital meeting to reaffirm their lockout decision. So the start of the lockout meant clubs freezing, signing of free agents, the cancellation of the league's annual winter meetings, and players being prohibited from team workout facilities, weight rooms, with the possibility of ticket sales being put on ice until after the agreement is reached. The ones that are going to pay the price are the small market teams. Yankees and Mets, Red Sox, Dodgers, they can absorb this. The other ones can't. What's your prediction for how it will end? I know the, I don't know how the economics work because I don't know how they're playing these players so much because I don't think attendance is great. And now they have the digital platform. I know that helps. The streaming, I know that is beneficial. They got the Major League Baseball Network, which I think generates money, but they don't get good ratings. So I don't see the books. Um, I don't necessarily see the greed, but the Players Union in baseball is known as the most powerful sports union, period. They were the ones who forced free agency and brought sports when we had Andy Messersmith and, um, and others switching teams on free agency and give the players some autonomy. Next, Cowboys prepare for Thursday night's game. That's tonight's game missing nine players and coaches because of COVID-19. NFL rules that will allow them to miss in less time if they are were not testing positive. If their contact trace will miss less time, Dan Quinn will fill in for the head coach, Mike McCarthy, who will stay at home and recover from it. Mike McCarthy's way overweight. And I'm telling you, if he has it, he could be dangerous. That's, that's not good. So that's, that's right. He's okay. Right. Yes, uh, the Saints are going to play uh, at home, but the, yes, the Cowboys, who have been playing terrible of late, 
have, I think, lost three of four, will try to reverse things without some of their best players. We'll see how it goes. If they want to win the NFC, they got to show it through good times and through bad, along with marriages. Brian Kilmeade. I'm Charles Payne. Listen to my Unstoppable Prosperity podcast so I can get you making money right now. Whether stocks are hitting new all-time highs or in freefall mode, opportunities abound. So why are so many potential investors still sitting on the sidelines? In a new season of my podcast, I'm going to get you in the game. After 38 years on Wall Street, I'm ready to impart some lessons and get you invested in the greatest wealth-generating machine in history. Listen anytime, everywhere at foxbusinesspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.